0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Renewable Energy Smart Pod. I'm your host, Sean McMahon. Joining me on the pod today is Steve McComb, Senior Vice President at Incubex, and we're going to be doing a deep dive on the market for renewable energy certificates, which are also known as renewable energy credits, but most commonly referred to by their acronym, REX. Now, I have a bit of a funny confession to make, and I know I might be dating myself here, and... (laughs) definitely sharing too much information about the music I used to listen to back in the day. But every time I hear or say the word Rex, I think of the old hip-hop group Rex in effect. So pardon the turn of phrase when I tell you Steve and I will be breaking down the effect the trading of Rex has on renewable energy markets. Every day, there's another headline about more and more renewable energy assets coming online. So coming up in the next few weeks, We've got a pair of episodes that will focus on the people who will be buying all that renewable energy. Miranda Ballantyne is the CEO of the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance, and she'll be joining me to talk about how large-scale energy buyers like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Walmart, and many, many others are reshaping the renewable energy procurement process. While Miranda and the members of REBA represent big, big buyers, we've also got an episode coming up that focuses on the plight of people looking to purchase renewable energy on a much, much smaller scale, I'm talking about individual homeowners and consumers. Greg Hopkins and the team at RMI have called for changes to the green mortgage market. So we'll be hearing from him about how individuals can leverage that market to increase their renewable energy purchasing power. So lots of great content on the way. But before we start talking Rex with Steve McComb from Incubex, I want to say a quick thank you to the sponsor of today's episode, Infor. Infor is a global leader in industry-specific cloud applications to support critical business needs. Infor solutions are tailored to meet the needs of solar and wind generation asset owners. More than 350 utilities organizations rely on Infor's cloud-based ERP solution to ensure their assets and infrastructure are safe and reliable. Hello everyone and joining me today is Steve McComb, the Senior Vice President from Incubex and today we're going to be talking about Renewable Energy Certificates. Steve, how are you doing today? Really good. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Glad you could come on here to share some of the knowledge the team at Incubex has about RECs. So let's get right into it. Walk me through what renewable energy certificates are, how they work, who generates them, and so forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here. So so effectively, renewable energy certificates, or RECs, uh, are certificates that are generated along with electrical power when it's generated. They're tracked, they're created in electronic registries. There are seven or so registries across the country, generally speaking, sort of the, the power grids as we know them. Uh, a good example that's been in the news a lot recently is, is ERCOT. You know, Texas has their own sort of renewable energy registry. And so these certificates are are generated at the same time as the power is generated and it's the unit of trade and and measure is one megawatt hour in the same way that electricity is measured in that way. They are transferred and bought and sold in these registries, and they typically are used to represent either the renewableness of, of energy or the claim on the consumption. A good example here would be, say, a Google who's looking to make sure that the energy they use to power their searches is renewable and say they would buy these renewable energy certificates to do that typically speaking the major demand side of this is is either voluntary or commercial demand or the the other one is is sort of a regulatory mandate where folks are required to do this by by fiat
0: and so real quick what kind of pricing are we talking about here so if if google does want to go buy a certificate what's the price variance you know, it's it's
1: a really good question. Uh, and, it, and it typically sort of varies by region and, and by sort of demand type. You have you know various programs run by various states, where if, if the requirements that they've set up under what we call a renewable portfolio standard, which is a state mandate for certain amounts of, of renewable energy to put into the grid, if those requirements are fairly stiff, you'll see some very high pricing as renewable energy Generators try to meet that high demand, uh, so so you can have prices for a megawatt hour as high as two hundred dollars and as low as earlier. You know, this year we saw you know ninety cents. So it really depends on what the supply demand dynamic is in that region and sort of the difficulty of putting in certain types of technologies.
0: All right, and just real quick, let's back up a second. So, what are the essentials of a renewable portfolio standard?
1: Typically, what you've seen is states mandating certain types of renewable energy. So they would mandate you know, a certain amount of, of wind, a certain amount of uh, solar production from certain regions that qualify into their programs. And they would, generally speaking, classify them in groups. So you'd have class one, which would be your sort of more industrial or more more fluid type of criteria, which would be wind and, and other high volume renewables. And then you'd have segregated classes for solar and others that are typically harder to develop or at least were at the time that these things it started so so you the, the politicians tend to to stratify it into to, into groups maybe based on their regional attributes as well so in states and regions that have uh, large sort of forestry components, you very often see a biomass element to the renewable portfolio standard. In others where you, you're close to the ocean or whatnot, you'd see offshore demand or offshore programs as well. And so those offshore ones are just getting going. So they're, they're very often trying to incentivize jobs, renewable jobs in those regions. And so they will tailor the design of the regulation to meet those requirements.
0: And now we're, when we're talking about who can buy and sell, uh, renewable energy certificates. Who are we talking about? I mean, this isn't the the Wall Street bets gang on Reddit, right? We're not game stopping this thing, right? Who can participate in these markets?
1: Yeah, so anybody can participate in the market. I mean, if you're a motivated individual, you could trade it. But you're right; it it's not typically traded in that way, right? It it is uh, most often traded by you know energy firms, electricity firms. I think you had um e d f renewables on your podcast recently and and you know they're a a large developer in the space, and so that would be sort of along the lines of someone that would be a natural participant in a market like this. That's sort of an example of 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 folks who do the development, but they need to find funding for their projects very often that funding comes along with you know uh, from a bank those banks would be typically hedging their exposure to some of these projects, so you'd have banks hedging there. You might have funds who have gone all ahead and funded some of these projects and you'd have funds. And then you have also the the great number of of sort of liquidity providers in the market where they have exposure as a result of trades or originated deals that they've done. And so so that's who's typical in the space. It's not really individuals. You would get access on an exchange like the one that we're partnered with called Nodal Exchange. You know, that's not something that you sign up for on Schwab uh, or 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 Reddit or Reddit or um, Robinhood, Robinhood. There <laughs> uh, you go. Know, this not something you sign up for on Robinhood, but it is it is a market that's available. It's just you have to be relatively motivated to try to get into that area. So, uh, looks a little bit more like you know trading wholesale beans and, and and corn than it does GameStop.
0: And now you mentioned earlier how the the different states can kind of have different pricing in terms of mandates. And, sorry, how the different mandates will affect pricing. So, walk me through a little bit. Where do those state rec mandates come from? What are the ins and outs of the renewable? Portfolio standards.
1: That's a good question. You know, so before we got on here, I actually searched it up, and it it looks like the first state mandate uh, came from Iowa, where they wanted to see a certain amount of renewable energy production in their grid. Uh, Now you have you know thirty states across the U.S. and and the uh, and the District of Columbia that have programs that mandate a certain amount of renewable energy, whereas in in two thousand and six and seven we had four futures contracts that served this market now we have more than 50 to serve the market And so it's it's growing significantly the uh, the, the number of states that are participating in it is ever increasing and the mandates that those states are putting in place is increasing a, a lot as well one of the you know early on the early days the the targets were very typically sort of you know 10% by 2010 20% by 2020 types of targets like that now you see you know, thirty percent by 30, 50 percent by fifty, and, and certain sort of more aggressive states going to a hundred percent as well. Now, doesn't California aren't they aiming for a hundred percent? They're aiming for a hundred percent, absolutely. And and so you know you see that you see that trend happening a lot now, and it looks like you know even the Biden administration is looking for sort of more z- zero carbon electricity grid, you know, into the future, and and so. What's interesting, I think, as a trend in this space is not necessarily that what the states are mandating, certainly that's a big, big driver, but also it seems like consumer demand has shifted and and this should be, in order to sort of be a growth company, you have to have a strategy in renewable energy and to fuel yourselves that way.
0: And now you mentioned earlier the difference between, or how some states have a mandate and others are voluntary. So what are the basic elements of a voluntary renewable energy certificate market and, you know, what makes them appealing? as opposed to the state-managed?
1: I think the the uh, the best example of, of a state that sort of has both is probably Texas. Uh, Texas has a, a, a requirement for renewable energy in their grid, and they they also have a very, very active voluntary market. The main difference is that on the voluntary side, it's, it's a little bit harder to define. It's anybody that wants to buy these things for whatever reason they may want to buy them for. But typically, you see the major driver of demand being net zero commitments that these corporations have made. So that that's kind of what what is the primary sort of backstop for for the voluntary market. You know what's what's interesting in that voluntary market is is you've had sort of a, a standardization of the standard of what is the voluntary market. So there's a really good organization out of California called the Center for Resource Solutions. They have a program called greeny energy and that has become the de facto national standard for what is a voluntary rack. and so they've done a very nice job of, of helping grow this market they've been around for you know 20 years doing the same thing and and it's been very positive what we've seen recently at uh, being an exchange and, and certainly measuring uh, or being a partner of an exchange and and measuring Our success by volumes on the exchange, you know, in the last 18 months, we've seen volumes in renewable energy from Texas, primarily driven by voluntary demand, uh, increase significantly. We've gone from zero to 15 million megawatt hours in that time just to put that into perspective, that's about enough energy to power 2 million homes for a year. And so, so that's that's the growth of forward commitments in renewable energy from that region. And those commitments on the product exchange nodal extend through 2031. Uh, at that same time, we've seen prices increase from sort of 90 cents per megawatt hour to $3.20 per megawatt hour. Still arguably relatively inexpensive on, on the basis of a power cost, but a significant shift and a significant increase in in apparent demand for that product.
0: And now you mentioned earlier how some states, the RPS, the renewable portfolio standards are evolving, where you know years ago they were just aiming for 10% and now it's climbing 30, 40, California's at 100. What kind of impact is that having on the market for Recs?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, you know, ever increasing sort of demand is, is increasing prices in certain cases and and also backfilling sort of other things that are happening in the electricity market. So, so I think, you know, the trend is bullish in the sense that there will be continued growth. Policy is pushing for that continued growth. So you see, like we mentioned before, California's uh, targets – all the 30 states have fairly aggressive targets and they're they're continuing to be satisfied by the good work of of EDF as as you had on your your show and so so that will continue to sort of be on the growth side of it. And that's gonna fill in some of the stuff that's 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 out there. So the coal shutting down, not necessarily as a policy decision, but it's just shutting down for because it's not economic anymore. So so you see the new renewables filling that void that's been left by sort of facilities that are just not in the money anymore. Uh, but you also see, you know, other, other forms of demand that are coming from, you know, the ever increasing trend towards uh, electric vehicles and so on. So that it's a, a very strong sort of supply side, and also a very strong demand side. So on both cases, a push upwards.
0: All right. and Now, so there's 30 states plus DC that have some form of recs. So are there any states that are more actively traded or where the prices are more lucrative than others?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I think it. You know, it's a really good question. I, the the of the states, probably the most liquid market is is what we call in the market PJM. Uh, PJM is the acronym for Pennsylvania, Maryland, and, and New Jersey, and and those states have rules within them that are generally aligned with with respect to what is eligible to satisfy the, the state mandates. And so as a result of that, there's you know some standardization in the underlying product, and you can trade the underlying rack and satisfy any one of the three requirements. And so that helps a lot to build a bigger pool of liquidity and a bigger pool of supply that, that can then be used. So that's a very actively traded market um, and for both a both class one or or let's consider the wind type rack and And the solar wreck, as well, in new jersey is is the the primary and most actively traded solar market. The other one on the voluntary side, if you will, Texas tends to be sort of your benchmark there, and and it, it would be the be the most active. But even in that example, it's kind of interesting to see because if you if you stack sort of what's most expensive, least expensive, just on a comparative basis, you know you've got two hundred dollars solar credits in New Jersey, you've got nineteen or, or so dollars in, in PJM as a class one or a wind credit, and then you have three and a half dollars for wind in Texas. So the, the markets are not fungible yet but they're they're very actively traded. All
0: right Steve so help me understand how the different markets function. So we've talked about how PJM or ERCOT have different pricing and different standards. How does that affect the overall market?
1: It's interesting. You know so it's also hard to define in some respect because the rules in each market are different. So you could kind of classify each market as the state set of rules. So Pennsylvania would have a set, uh, New Jersey would have a set of rules, and and you know Massachusetts, Connecticut, and whatnot. The participants in those markets would then be looking at those rules, trying to optimize and and find the best price that they can get for the asset that they have, and so they would be looking to uh, either build in a certain region or. Uh, if it was eligible, flow electrons to a certain region via transmission so that they could capture sort of the highest price for the asset that they're trying to manage. And so, you know, depending on the sort of set of criteria that they have, be it transmission, the rules for the state and whatnot. So they're, they're, they're constantly looking at those types of things in order to optimize and get the best value for both the rec, but I suppose in combination, the electricity as well.
0: Are there any markets that, you know, for lack of a better word, do it the best or or make it easiest for for traders to operate?
1: It's interesting, you know, and it, it sort of comes at a hard time uh, to say that, you know, Texas does it best, right? We, we saw <laughs> really, why, why don't yeah, you want diff- to say that, Steve? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, that, that's certainly, you know, it's certainly uh, fraught with, um, you know, lots of contention. But uh, the, you know, where, where markets uh, – I've always been a fan of, of, of maybe you know policies and then and then hands off implementation and so so you know for us we we look at uh, you know where the development is happening and and where the markets are sort of free to to express themselves and, and Texas is is a good example of that. Uh, now that being said, most of the activity historically and and and. Through to now is really in the PJM region, and so so you know it's hard to say that that they're not doing it best because they have some minor amount of standardization amongst the rules, which is really helpful. And so that that's a good example of where you're getting pools of liquidity and sort of momentum in a market where folks can be comfortable with making investments because they have various different uh, places to to outlet that supply. So maybe a competitive uh, toss-up between sort of hands-off and 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 uh, in Texas and 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 some some tighter but but coordinated management in the PJM area. So
0: how often do these credits change hands? I mean, if a company buys one, do they just sit on it, or does it kind of move around periodically?
1: So it's a yeah, really good question. I think where where we sit in the market as as a Participant in in offering uh, futures trading for it, we see greater turn frequency in the futures. So you would be trading, you know, one time the underlying crop sort of as a as an entry level market where it's it's not super evolved. If you went to uh, a market like corn and beans, I I, I suspect they would trade sort of twenty times the underlying crop. In in some fairly evolved emissions markets, it's sort of at a six times the underlying crop. So. The futures trade, the actual transfer of certificates would be probably a fraction of that because you could trade futures many times and actually only transfer the underlying once or twice. And in fact, you know, more of the transactions would occur sort of either over the counter, bilaterally between parties for forward commitments, or as futures contracts. Uh, that then would the underlying sort of bounce around in the registry that much.
0: You mentioned how the markets aren't fungible yet. Is that? Anywhere in the distant future, like a federal rec
1: market? Yeah, I think a a federal rec market. We certainly hope is is on the horizon. I think that uh, one thing you know, the trend that you see is what is acceptable both to you know politicians is a reflection of what consumers will accept. And renewable energy, you know, certificates or renewable energy markets or incentives for those markets is relatively well accepted as as a way to deal with sustainability. And so I I am very, you know, uh, encouraged by a common traded market for renewable energy or at least clean energy uh, in the future under a federal program. And I think that would be very positive for the market and certainly be great to pool a lot of the liquidity that is sort of set up in these pockets of markets that we have today.
0: All right. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear Steve's take on how some of the big proposals coming out of the Biden administration might affect the market for Rex. Infor is a global leader in industry-specific cloud applications to support critical business needs. The Infor vision is led by crafting unique user experiences to support the business, starting from project development and planning through to digital tools for O&M. With solutions tailored for PowerGen and T&D enterprises, Infor is able to deliver speedy and reliable results, such as a 400% improvement on O&M productivity, 20% extension in equipment life expectancy, and millions of dollars of savings through controlling lifecycle costs of assets. And now, let's get back to our conversation with Steve McComb from Incubex. All right, and then all the renewable energy proposals coming out of the Biden administration lately, do you see those affecting pricing or, or the shape of these markets?
1: I think what it affects is probably the mood more than anything. Um, you know, we've you know, there's always been sort of lots of uh, policy proposals and, and lots of hope <laughs> for for different things over time, both on the carbon side and the renewable energy side. And I think what you see here is just sort of uh, almost it's it's a mere reflection of a lot of what consumer demand is. Is just that hey, there's a mood for for more renewables on the grid. I believe there's almost an expectation from consumers today that that minimally some portion of their electricity is is, is renewable, if not all. And so. The federal policies to do that probably are just are just more encouraging and create more momentum around the thing rather than being reflected in prices yet.
0: All right, now we've been talking a lot about where things are now and maybe looking a little bit towards the future with Biden and his team. So what do you see there? If we're looking at these markets five or ten years out, what does the rec market look like? We'll start here in the U.S. and then maybe beyond our borders.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, um, the thing that we'll see is probably a, a – continued sort of uh, standardization of of what the thing is. And so, you know, a lot of the Biden policies have been not necessarily renewables, but zero carbon. Uh, And so, you know, there is certainly a play for other types of energy that that doesn't have a carbon footprint to it. So I think going forward, there will be a, a very actively traded certificate Transaction market uh, and and renewals will have a, a big chunk of that, and I think you know that with all the technology development that we've seen and sort of the improvement and the services available to the market, that Rex will continue to be a big feature of it, and and that you'll see a lot of new development into those markets. So so that that's very positive. I I think that that all the all the stuff coming out of that administration is good, and 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 I also at the same time as you look at the, the various policies, you know, re- renewable energy and clean energy seems to be very socially accepted. And so I think you you would have a really, you know, much more palatable policy implementation pathway under a renewable energy plan than you might under certain other emission reductions programs. Globally, you know, probably some of the same stuff too. I think, you know, they're, they're you know, Europe is doing much the same and if not more and as we've seen in Asia, China is some of the largest energy production for renewables. And so, you know, I think the trend that we're seeing here is is, is similar across the board. And now in terms of
0: all the talk about greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets, uh, you mentioned earlier how even consumers, are there's almost an expectation that part of their energy will, will come from renewable sources. And it's just more socially the norm, I guess we'd say, than, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago. So how do RECs? How do these marketplaces? How do they fit into the bigger picture of achieving some of those? I mean, let's just call it rather ambitious uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. How critical are these? Are these RECs to that puzzle?
1: Yeah, I think they're. I think they're a really good piece of the puzzle. I mean, everybody you know says stuff like, "Oh, we need all the tools in the tool belt," and I think that's actually true. You know, so uh, RECs are a very important piece of of the economics for developers. If we take a look at New England, a rec is $45, power is $45. So, you know, so that is a huge component of the, the revenue side for developers. So, you know, that's going to continue to be needed to incentivize new renewables into those regions and across the country. Uh, and so I think that, you know, that, that's a big piece of it. Uh, generally speaking, you know, this is just sort of one of the pieces that will complement an emission reduction program. And so, you know, to the extent to which we can see emission reductions come as a result of only renewables. That's great. There will also have to be some you know, outright emission reductions, but I think focusing on REX as a growth story uh, and and a, and a nice positive solution as opposed to simply just let's just tamp down all those emissions jobs, which which we really can't do in the short term. I think it's a, it's, a, it's maybe a, a, the flip side of the same coin, if you will, but maybe a brighter way to look at the issue. Uh, and also, you know, one of the things that is always – been the case, and we've seen this in markets historically. When acid, under the Acid Rain program, there was a lot of talk about how this was just going to kill coal and, and and kill the power industry, and, and you're, you know you're going to be cold and wet, and the lights will be off at home. And that just didn't happen because technology develops, and solutions evolve, and and both costs go down, and the lights stay on. And so I think that that's what we're going to find as as we push the envelope a little harder in developing you know, sustainable solutions for, for this economy, both for direct emissions as well as just energy production.
0: And now just a reminder that some of the, some of our listeners are, are brand new to this topic, right? And you mentioned a a few minutes ago how in New England, price of power is at 45 bucks and and the recs at 45 bucks. So how common is that, you know, where the pricing is is right on or very similar and and how important is that?
1: Yeah. So it, it depends on, on, on the, the area you know, another example would be New Jersey, where you got solar credits for for two hundred bucks and and power. I didn't looked at it recently, but let's just call it fifty bucks. So it's you know that there's a big spread between them. I think the price of the wreck is extremely important to the developer to get these projects done, you know, but for that, you wouldn't have solar in New Jersey, right? It's not Nevada, right? So, so it's, you know, so that was the primary driver for, for why all that investment flowed to, to that region. And so those types of results will develop in certain regions as the policy is there to support it. So, so I I think the, you know, the, the RPS, those are important policy drivers and will create the results they're intended to. Um, you know. So it's, it's, it's important to, to have those things be sort of the right design and, and have the right blend of different technologies. So for developers, I think it, the answer would be it's extremely important. For us, what we see when we deal with our clients who are trading in these markets, that's a lot of their focus. It's it's a significant piece of the economics that they, that they do have to hedge. So they have to hedge both you know, they have to ensure that they are managing the price risk in electricity and the price risk in renewable energy certificates. And, and both are very material to their bottom lines. And, and so that's why we're here as, a, as even as a service to, to make sure that they've got the tools in their tool belt to make sure that they can manage that risk.
0: And so if I'm understanding you correctly, when a REC is priced at, say, 200 bucks and solar is at 50, that's good for a developer? Or or how does that play to the market?
1: I think whatever the sum total is the highest would be the answer, right? If you're a developer, you, you'd just want the highest because you're gonna you're gonna get the, the, the same number of megawatt hours of electricity that you produce is the same number of recs that you get. So you just have two separate attributes, and one being the actual electrons that's all charged up. And the other being uh, the, this certificate, and so to the extent to which you can add the two together, and whichever is higher is the way to go. That's what will get it done. So, so it's going to be a balance of, of what the electricity market will will earn for you and what the REC market will earn for you.
0: And now, are there any other trends out there, even beyond you know REC trading or, or things like that? Just renewable sector stuff that's caught your eye. We can get away yeah. from the financial stuff if you want, just cool technologies or things like that. I mean, you're dialed in, so I'm always curious to pick a brain like yours for what catches your eye.
1: In, in many respects, what we think are interesting are the things that we're trying to work on, right? So so we see we've been talking this whole time about renewable electricity. There's a, a huge market, even a national market here in the US for renewable fuels, liquid fuels. And uh, so that to us is a, is a, is a very interesting area uh, that that has a very interesting pricing dynamics and policy dynamics. Carbon policy, state carbon policy, is interesting for us too, and I think it's interesting. But I would say I would step back and say, well, those things are the market, and they will evolve. You know what? What we sort of hope to see over the next number of years is the proper evolution of f- sort of financial services and markets and tools, so that those markets can grow. And, and so so we're we're focused on that. We think that's you know extremely interesting and important. And and we're going to try to to help provide that.
0: Are you seeing more of the more of the big banks get involved in these markets? And I ask that because there's been news lately about I think Citi and maybe B of A or, or Goldman was you know building out brand new teams just to help their clients decarbonize mm-hmm. or, you know, get on the path towards decarbonization? Are, are you seeing that at Incubex, you know, some of the tier one banks getting more involved?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, it, we, we certainly are. But I would also say that, you know, many of those tier one banks have always been in, in there, but are probably now... Trying to grow their teams simply just to respond to the growth of interest from their clients, and so you know, whereas it might have been a one-person team, now it's gonna they're they're focused on building out a six-person team or or a ten or, or more. Um, you know, other examples of this are, are where the entire piece of renewables trading might have been a half of the gas trader's job, and now it's not only half that job but but three others and four others and so you know it, it's a, it it is a really interesting time in this market to see you know all of the demand for employ, employment really of, of people that know how to trade this market and uh, so yeah no it's it's absolutely it's it's fascinating uh, the banks are getting in funds are getting in uh, in in a bigger way like just to say that they've been there already but but they you know there's there is net new and there's also sort of incremental growth within uh, their participation which is which is really positive to see
0: all right so now we get to have some fun Steve we did a little bit here on this show it's a little bit of a fun poke in the eye of the creative and imaginative names that renewable energy project developers give their projects. So we call it Renewable Energy Project or Not a Renewable Energy Project. I'm going to invite producer Tom in here in a second, and he's going to read off five names, I believe, of renewable energy projects. He's done some internet research. Four of the names he's going to give us are real. Uh, One of them is not, and I don't have any clue. I'm getting back in the game here. Uh, I'm 0 for So far on getting these right. So, I'm going to get back in and try and guess it with you. So, Tom will be testing both of us. So, Tom, take it away.
2: Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for the introduction, Sean. Great to have you aboard, Steve. Thank you. So, the first potential renewable energy project is Sun Harvest Solar. The second, the geysers geothermal (laughs) geysers
0: (laughs) geothermal all right keep going sorry that's a that's a good one that's your vote i take it no i'm just saying it's a it's a it's a great name
2: like sean said great names very creative the third contender cascade run dam the fourth blue mountain geothermal and last but not least loose goose dam (laughs) loose so those names one more time all right number one sun harvest solar number two sean's favorite the geysers geothermal number three cascade run dam number four blue mountain geothermal and last but not least number five loose goose dam steve since you're our guest you get to go first
1: all right.
2: I'll go with number five. I'll go with Loose Goose. Steve goes with Loose Goose Dam. And Mr. Ofer, Sean, Oh boy, your choice. Well,
0: I, I, I know that Sun Harvest is real because I spent some time on the EDF Renewable site and I saw it on there before I talked to their CEO. So I know that one is real. I'm not going to say that one. I, I got to go with, yeah, the Geysers Geothermal because that is just... I mean, that's like the perfect name for a, a geothermal project, right? It's almost too perfect. So I'm going with that one. Someone got, someone, that that can't be real.
2: All right, Geyser's Geothermal for Sean. So as Sean said, Sun Harvest Solar is a real project. I knew it. The other one not mentioned that's a real project is Blue Mountain Geothermal. Sean, I'm sorry to say the Geyser's Geothermal is a real project. Oh, over The Ofer Street continues. And and Steve, I'm sorry to say, Loose Goose Dam is a real project. So the winning fake project for the week is Cascade Run Dam. Sorry, gentlemen. That's
0: the perfect name for a dam, though. How can that be fake? Cascade Run. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for playing along with that, Steve. I appreciate it. You're a good sport. Uh, I know that can be hard. There's hundreds of these projects all over the place. So it's not like anyone has an encyclopedic knowledge of them, especially me. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, Steve. Uh, it's great to hear more about the rec market in general and kind of you know how you and the team at Incubex see it now and maybe taking shape in the future. So I really appreciate your time.
1: I really appreciate being here. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Now
0: it's time for the pod brief portion of our show. And I just want to spend a little bit more time talking about recs. Steve did an excellent job of laying out how the market functions and the areas where it seems poised for growth. One thing I want to add is just a reminder that RECs aren't always the perfect solution for everybody, nor were they intended to be. As I mentioned at the top of the show, soon I'll be talking to Miranda Ballantyne from the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance. And I know she has some insights on when RECs are and aren't a good fit. With companies shifting their focus from merely greening their operations to deploying new strategies that target decarbonization, RECs aren't always available or an ideal match for some of the cutting-edge ways companies are investing and leading the energy transition. Now, financial markets have a pretty good track record of developing products to meet market demand, so it will be interesting to watch Steve and the team at Incubex as they, and the wider renewables market, evolve with the rapidly changing needs of energy buyers. Well, that's our show. Thank you for listening. Once again, I'd like to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Infor. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at RenewablesPod. And if you'd like a daily dose of renewable news delivered to your inbox, head to SmartBrief.com and sign up for the Renewable Energy Smart Brief. The Renewable Energy Smart Pod is a production of Smart Brief, a future company.